student engagement is impacted by those equitable practices. Students are not, their potential is not sparked. They're not interested in the content sometimes when we're not utilizing them and taking the opportunities to make those connections. So these nine practices really are connecting with the students and getting to know them. And I can mention in this episode, we sit down for a chat with Dr. Tashana House, an associate professor of mathematics education at Georgia Gwinnett College. With over 22 years in mathematics education, Tashana has a wealth of experience teaching in the high school classroom and now helps to develop the teachers of tomorrow through pre-service teacher education courses. Stick around as we dive into Tashana's Make Math Moments virtual summit presentation topics involving how we can ensure equitable supports for all students in the mathematics classroom, from getting to know your learner to reflecting on what we are bringing with us to the mathematics classroom community. We'll be digging in deep into equitable teaching practices. All right, let's do this. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from makingmathmoments.com and together... With you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense making, and ignite your teacher moves. My friends, we are super excited to jump into a conversation with Tashana. John, I don't know about you, the last time we had an opportunity to chat with her, or at least I had an opportunity to chat with her, was back in November at the virtual summit. It was awesome. That presentation was great and is still up in the Academy for Academy members to dive into those replays. I know I learned a ton, but just having this conversation for me anyway, really reminded me and maybe even deepened my understanding of some of the learning the first time around. How about you? Yeah, definitely hearing or listening in on the conversation as you're just about to do. When we reflect on that conversation, bring back memories, but also sparks some new stuff that some new thoughts on my current practice, what I'm doing in my classroom, how can I do that better? What are some resources that can help me with that? I got a lot out of this conversation and I know you will too. So don't forget to stick around and listen to the whole thing. You're not going to regret it. All right, here we go, my friends. Hey, hey there, Tashana. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are so excited. And actually, John, I don't know about you, but I get really excited when we get an opportunity to get one of our past or future summit speakers coming on the podcast. And uh, Tashana spent some time with us last November and gave a fantastic talk. So we'll dive into that a little bit. But first, how are things going with you, Tashana? Hi, Kyle and John. Things are going well. I am definitely excited to be here, excited to share with you two tonight. 
Awesome stuff. As we are also excited, like Kyle said, it's great that you did your session back in November. You're here to chat about that and more probably with us. So we are excited to share what you've been thinking about, what's on the topic of your mind and what you're working with the people that you work with. So do us a little favor, Tishana. Can you tell our listeners, we know about you, but tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Where are you coming from? What's your teaching journey? Can you fill us in on some background there too, please? Most definitely. So I am coming to you all from the awesome state of Florida. I was born and raised in the Fort Lauderdale Beach, Broward County area. So with that, coming from that background, I have this year a total of 22 years of teaching experience. And for those math minds, they could actually come up with the date or the year of when I started teaching, because this is my 22nd year of teaching. So with that, so with 22 years, I've done seven years of teaching high school mathematics. So I taught all the levels from ninth grade to 12th grade mathematics. And the rest of my years have been at the college level. So I've taught in the College of Education for the, what, I did three years of teaching pure mathematics in the College of Mathematics and Science at Bethune-Cookman University. And then the rest of my years have been colleges of education. So that's my background. That is fantastic. I had to make a comment, though, John, because Fort Lauderdale, when we go down to Florida, my family, my parents usually spend winters down in Florida up in Port St. Lucie. And we usually come into Fort Lauderdale. What an awesome, awesome area. But John, what were you about to say there? Now that you said that, because I swear to Shana, when we last chatted with you, you were in Atlanta. Right. So in Atlanta, I am working at Georgia Gwinnett College, where I am a mathematics professor, professor of mathematics education, to be exact. And I've been here for about six years. So I'm from Florida, where the beaches are. But then I've been living in a landlocked state for about six years, which has been different, but it's definitely been an awesome experience. So true to my passion of being a mathematics educator. Awesome. So I'm glad, John, that you caught that because I just went zoomed right in on Florida. I just had a personal connection there. But you know what? Georgia is such a fabulous state as well in the Atlanta area. So awesome stuff. We are so excited to have you here. And as we dig in a little bit deeper, this is the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We always like to ask our guests about their math moment from their own K through 12 experience. Some people have stretched it beyond. There's no real hard rules here. But when we say math moment, what comes to mind for you, Tashana? So for me, what comes to mind, and I've, I've shared this during multiple presentations, but I was a little black girl that was just really good at numbers. And it really was not just really smart all around, but then really, really good with numbers. So you're well-rounded, smart kid that was good at mathematics, but no one really paid attention to how smart this young lady was. And so until I got in the 10th grade and this lady, well, my counselor in 10th grade was like, wow, I'm really recognizing how well you could definitely be in advanced level classes. And so I'm thinking you're not being challenged. And so with that being said, she put me in the 10th grade in all advanced classes. So prior to that, this smart, highly gifted young lady 
her potential was not recognized until that counselor said something. And when I was placed in the advanced classes, I am reminded of this geometry math class that really sparked my just everything. Like, really, really smart girl. But when I got into this geometry class, it captured everything about my learning, who I am, what I love, my passion. And the awesome thing about the geometry class is the teacher didn't teach. Well, I guess I shouldn't say she didn't teach. She was a facilitator. So she made mathematics fun. She made it realistic. We built things, constructed things. Most of all, we discovered mathematics. We discovered the theorems. We discovered the postulates and so on and so forth. So it was just a different kind of experience that I had not experienced before. And so from kindergarten through ninth grade, I had not experienced that type of learning environment or experience prior to that experience. So that is my math moment when I was in a geometry class and my potential had been sparked. I love it. Something that popped into my mind as you were telling the story and you just sort of hit on it when you said this teacher didn't teach. And we knew, by the way, we knew what you were getting at there. We totally got it. I'm sure everybody at home was like, oh yeah, we know what you're saying. Now I'm wondering, and we usually like to ask like how this impacts you as a teacher or facilitator, right? As you're saying, I'm really curious also, was that potential not recognized or realized due to how the math was being taught? Or was it potentially like being like discrimination or like, was it a combination or are you unsure? Like, I'm curious. And then how does that influence who you are as an educator to ensure that doesn't happen to any students in your class or at least at minimum anyway? So I think to answer the question about how and why it was, I don't know all the answers, but I can like make some speculations based off of experience and research and just different things over time. And I think I can make the connection when I talk about my brother who also came from the same background, same home as me or what have you. And he wasn't like your excelling type student. So we were like two opposites. And so basically I felt like there was this tracking thing that was happening, but I didn't understand it until like I became a researcher. So I really can't, I can't go back and say that this is what it was. All I can say is I believe I lived some things that I'm reading about in the research and the language. And so now because of that, I speak to it when I talk about equitable teaching practices, mathematics interventions and choosing appropriate tasks for students and sparking students' interest and why student engagement should be at the forefront. Student engagement and student relationships, those should really be at the forefront of our teaching of of mathematics. Yeah, it is an interesting thing that, like you said, you probably at the time didn't realize what was happening. But now looking back, you can see, yeah, I think that's what was happening. Like maybe wasn't placed there because of this reason or that reason. And 
when you make that comment, it's like a big bell is going off by going like, how many other kids are also not realizing that same thing even today, right? Like when you went through school a number of years ago, but even today, it's like, how many kids are not realizing that maybe they are being prevented from reaching their full potential? And that's going to be, I think, the big spark of what we're going to talk about here, right? It is talking about the, your session at the 2001 or 2021 Make Math Moments a Virtual Summit. And we'd love to highlight yeah, that work because you had a great turnout. You had lots of engaged people in that session, and which was all around interventions and equitable supports for students. And you mentioned in that, if I dive in a little bit into this, you mentioned in that session, a section on assessments and assessment of student understanding are really key to providing support and interventions for those support. But I think what you said, there were some key components of assessing student understanding. And I'm wondering if, like, what are some of those key components of assessment? Because I think we all are wondering about how do I assess my students in the best possible way? What does assessment really mean sometimes? Some of us are probably still grappling with that. And then also like what, when is the best time to perform some of these assessments? So this is awesome. So assessments, assessing for appropriate intervention. So basically some of those components include number one, ensuring that the assessment is aligned to a particular learning goal or a particular standard. So those, that's key because we have to have a backing for what we're looking for. So aligned to a learning goal standard, and then that learning goal have specific learning targets. So identifying what is the target that you are assessing. So I got this standard and I need to assess these learning targets or this particular target. And if you're going to assess that target, you want to ensure that it is accessible to the learner. So that means the learner has to have access to it. And in order for the learner to have access, number one, they they definitely need to, it needs to be something that they can enter. It needs to be a task that they can start, that they can begin, no matter what level they're on, but they can enter the task, enter the assessment, enter whatever it is that they're dealing with or working with during the assessment. And then I really believe another piece that we need to think about is the balance of cognitive demand when we are writing assessments. So ensuring that the task or the assessment has an opportunity for students to not only engage in recall or memorization, but also a task that's going to engage in deep thought, deep thinking, That's going to get them to provide their way of reasoning or bring their way of reasoning to the assessment. So that allows you to really get an understanding for where that student is for that particular standard, for that particular learning target, and so on and so forth. Yes. I love that. And we're jotting down our points here. And this is bringing back memories from the session, which is great. I hope that some of our listeners who saw the session already are going, oh, yeah, these are some of the pieces that you brought up, which I think is so key. So you brought up, there's a lot there to unpack. And something that really resonated with me was just about this idea of having a task, essentially, that is accessible for all students, but then also does have some cognitive demand there so that you can actually see where students are and what that sort of looks like or sounds like to me. And maybe you can help us and shed some light on this is picturing a task where 
some students might be able to enter with, say, counting strategies, whereas other students might be thinking additively, other students might be thinking multiplicatively, other students might be fluent with ratios and rates or whatever it might be, depending on the task. But where all students can actually enter it, can engage with it. And then I guess in my mind, what I'm picturing is when you do that, then you can get a better sense of where they are. Whereas if it's a very closed task, if it's only accessible by those who can actually do the task, then you're not really learning much about where a student who's struggling is. And I'm wondering if we can go deeper on that. Like, how would an educator who's sitting there going like, whoa, maybe I haven't thought about this yet. Maybe I haven't read or been introduced to this idea in their own professional learning. Like, how does someone get started with that work? Is there anywhere you might point them or any ideas to help them with that? So that's great. And I love the way, Cal, the way that you just kind of summed up all of what I was saying in there. Like you just kind of brought it all home and brought it all together. Like that was awesome. And to provide a response to your question, I think what I want to say is definitely getting to know your students. Like that's huge. So there's two major pieces in that is Number one, you got it like knowing the content, having a keen understanding of the content, but then also knowing the learner. Those two things coupled together are going to allow us to really be able to assess who and where they are with a particular standard. And so getting to know your students, there are different ways to definitely go about doing that. It all depends on the person, depends on The students depends on all these different factors. But number one, just having a conversation with them. That's what that counselor did for me. That counselor brought me to her office. We just sat down and we had a conversation. We just talked. So maybe I was only ninth grader at the time, but that conversation meant so much and it spoke volumes to me. So getting to know your students and then having a keen understanding of the content And that understanding have to be in a way that we understand the coherence of what comes before me and after me, meaning what I'm teaching. If I'm teaching algebra, what happens in middle school that connects or bridges that algebra? What happens in algebra two geometry? So having those two things together are going to help us unpack really good equitable assessments for our students. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. 
Yeah, totally. Like knowing what they can do and knowing the student is so important. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of teachers, and I'm going to go out on a limb here because Kyle and I always kind of hash on high school teachers because we're both high school teachers by training. I'm still a high school teacher, but high school teachers, we've said in the past, like I think a lot of elementary teachers get into teaching because they really love the kids. And it's very natural for an elementary teacher to go like, I want to teach the kid. I got to get to know the kids. Whereas I think high school teachers, especially for me, and I guess that's why I'm speaking for experience. I had to learn that because a lot of us get into teaching because we like the subject. We like mathematics. We had an affiliation with it. We were like, fell in love with mathematics. And then we're like, I want to pass that on to kids. So when I first started teaching, it was that love of mathematics. I tried to share that love by being really excited about mathematics. But I was still, I think, was solely focused on the mathematics and the lessons and not the actual students. And I think a lot of teachers are still in that place. So I'm wondering, Tashana, if you could fill in some gaps for those people. Like, I know that most listeners of our podcast are probably teachers who are already know that they have to teach kids and have to understand and get to know students. But I'm wondering if, like, if you can compare and contrast, like, if think about a teacher who is only focused on the mathematics and not the student and what they're missing out on for assessment, for helping that student along versus a teacher who is solely focused on helping that student and getting to know that student. I wonder if you could like paint us a picture of like what this teacher is missing out on, like my old self, what was I missing out on versus having a teacher who what you're saying should be doing for these equitable teaching practices. Awesome. So John, that was great. I'm going to answer that question. So just to answer your question, so what are some teachers missing out on? Number one, it's like you miss the opportunity to really connect the content with the learner. Because when we think about it, and John, you said it well, is that we were math teachers because we were just really good at the numbers. We love the math. We just understand all that stuff, right? And we get excited about it. But there are so many kids that are not just naturally excited like we are. Like there are kids that they're going to look at you and just be like, okay, what's the point? Why? Why am I learning this? And so if we're not connecting them to it, then we're missing that moment. We're missing that opportunity to be able to connect the math to the learner. And I'll say when I was a freshman and I was in an algebra class, I learned a lot of, I mean, I'm really good with the numbers because we are good naturally as math teachers. It's like I was going through the motions, just doing a set of procedures, a set of problems. And I felt sorry for the kid that I got it. Like it was easy for me because I was in a regular math class. It wasn't advanced. It was regular. So you got this really bright, gifted math girl in a math class. But all of the people that were in that class, they were like one or two grades ahead of me. I'm like the only freshman. And I got it. I understand it all. So um, saying all that to say is that these kids were just learning a bunch of procedures and there was no connections, no anything. And they had like there was like behavior problems in the class. This little shy little black girl who was really good at everything. I just kind of stayed in my (laughs) desk and just. I just was in my little space until I reached that geometry class where this teacher connected it all. Like we were building cities with the content. So we discovered all this geometry 
And then we begin to build cities. So think about what will happen in, what will you need in your city for your city to operate? So then you start to think about all these different components. So that's what you miss out on. You miss out on the opportunity to connect the content that you are so excited about with the learners that are sitting in front of you. When you connect those things, then that's how that's when we can provide equitable teaching practices and equitable assessments for kids. Yeah, that's. I love that. And like what I'm envisioning as well, and this is kind of what came into my mind as you were describing that is it's like students, they pick up on the those things, like even if it's nuanced, right? But if you're learning about them and they feel like they're a part of it, right? And especially if they feel like the math and how you're teaching and how you're delivering or how you're speaking directly to them connects to their learning, right? And you talked about how important it is to engage our learners. And you just think about that. If it just feels like this is the same lesson that Mr. Pierce does on every day 38 of this course, no matter who's in front of him, then they don't feel that connection. But when they sort of feel like the content is evolving based on what's happening in the classroom, right? And the students, what the students are doing, that is so important. And I don't know about you, John, but when you had mentioned like the old John, it's the same thing for me, like going back, it's like, I didn't have that connection because, but I think a lot of it too, from a teacher's perspective, when you're a new teacher, you're just so worried about doing it right, even though there is no right. And this, I think is a great segue for us to maybe dive into some of those equitable teaching practices that you discuss in your talk. And I know for me, as I do more learning around equitable teaching practice, culturally responsive pedagogy, a lot of these pieces, for me, they connect back to the NCTM eight effective teaching practices. Like there's a lot of connections there. And I'm wondering if we were to dive into some of these, I know that you had shared nine. I don't know if you want to go through all nine or if there's just maybe a handful that you feel might be good for us to maybe dig into here based on the conversation on getting to know our learner. Where do you want to take it in terms of some of those teaching practices? Well, I think what we can do is definitely we can focus on a couple of them. I think one is drawing upon the funds of the students' knowledge by definitely just getting to know them and inviting their ways of reasoning to the learning process. That's one of the practices that we can speak in terms of in developing optimal learning zones within that environment. It's kind of like establishing classroom norms in which in order to develop an optimal learning zone, there has to be this thinking where we have the students and their way of doing and the teacher and his or her way of doing. And we come to a medium for how we can operate in this environment. We talk about this is who I am. And so it gets back, it connects very nicely to culturally responsive teaching. Because in the presentation, I talked about how culturally responsive teaching has, there's two dynamics. We have the teacher characteristics and the instructional practices. And so the teacher characteristics lends itself to, number one, not only this helps us to develop these optimal learning zones, is number one, having an understanding of who you are, yourself, your own biases, what you bring to the table. A lot of times we think that we're not biased, 
But in actuality, we do bring certain things from our experiences to learning to and same vice versa with our kids, the kids as well. So understanding yourself and once you kind of understand yourself and understand and know your biases, you begin to combat those things or to address those things within yourself, they allow you to understand your students a little bit more. It allows you to be a little bit more open-minded. It allows you to accept that things are not going to always, doesn't always have to go your way, right? (laughs) And which, especially as a new teacher, we think that it has to be that way or the highway. And it doesn't have to be that way all the time. So you just... Having a set of teacher characteristics that allows you to be culturally competent, and then it allows you to get to know and understand your learners, understand the community that you're teaching in. That's going to support you in developing those optimal learning zones with students. So if we think about these non-practices, a lot of those non-practices that I provided in the presentation, they draw upon student engagement because student engagement is impacted by those equitable practices. Students are not, their potential is not sparred. They're they're not interested in the content sometimes when we're not utilizing them and taking the opportunities to make those connections. So these nine practices really are connecting with the students and getting to know them. And I could mention a couple of them. Like one is monitoring how students position themselves in the classroom, monitoring how that happens, attending explicitly to race and culture and what that dynamic looks like in the classroom or for in your classroom. Position students, like see students positively, position them as capable learners within the mathematics content and context. Ensure that you are pressing for their success, that that's what I'm here for, for you to be successful. So those non-practices are really about getting at the meat of the student body that is sitting in front of you, understanding who they are, observing them, understanding their communities, and so on and so forth, having a positive disposition towards them. So that impacts student engagement. And so it helps to equip you to have a certain set of teacher characteristics. Those characteristics allow us to plan certain instructional practices. And so when we have teacher characteristics, the teacher characteristics, once they develop, that is when we have equipped ourselves to be able to provide access and equity. But then the instructional practices is what lends us or provides us the opportunity to implement the access and equity. So we have to equip ourselves first, which are definitely about these nine practices, student engagement, equitable practices that we have here in the presentation. It allows us to be able to implement access and equity in the math classroom. Yeah, I think you bring up many great points. And one I just want to go back on a little bit is this idea that you're saying, like, we have to recognize a few things about ourselves. This idea of this teacher characteristics are so important. I think oftentimes when you go to professional development or see professional development, we talk about the pedagogy side that we often talk about here on the podcast. And it's not, it's, you don't usually find in those professional development sessions, 
that, hey, we have to actually look at what characteristics can we bring, change or bring to the table that will actually put us in a better position to implement those pedagogical practices so that everyone can learn. I think you've done a great job to say, look, there's two pieces here that we do need to think about. And when I think about say my journey, like I had said before, I was that kind of that teacher that had a hard time with this transition into, hey, I have to work, think about kids and students versus what the rules are. And you kind of said that we have to sometimes take a step back and go like, what are the rules? We, it's my way or the highway, right? It's like, these are the things that we're going to put in place in our classrooms, because we're going to make sure everyone follows these rules. And sometimes those rules don't need to always be applied, especially if we're trying to focus on the individual students. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned So over the last 10 years of my teaching. And I know that I think one of the hard things, I think new teachers or even older teachers or veteran, let's call them veteran teachers. I was veteran, <laughs> older teachers. John. Veteran teachers like have, that. <laughs> I think what I hear is say in the staff room or at a department meeting is that teachers stick to the rules no matter what. Like, for example, following the late policy, someone's late and yo, you write down how many lates do you get? And you got to follow the late policy. You got to turn them in. They're going to get detention. They're going to get suspended for so many lates instead of thinking, okay, well, this student is late. Instead of just marking them late and saying, you're late, sit down, let's get going. It's like, why are they late? Like what's going on to cause that? Like, why don't we get to the root of this problem? But I think these teachers who are I've got to follow the rules. And I know that a lot of listeners of the podcast are working with teachers who are, are like that. We got like, hey, we might need to change some things if we're going to steer towards helping kids versus always help the, like helping the mathematics. I think what those teachers are worried about is like this loss of control. Like if, if I give in on this one idea, right? If I give in on like the late policy, then what's next? Yeah. Where do I draw the line? And it's like, I guess it seems hard for these teachers to go, okay, I can't do that because all of a sudden I've lost control and now I don't have control of my class. And I know that we, what is really control, right? Tashana? It's like, what do we say that these teachers are like, I guess the teachers who are helping these teachers, like, what would, advice would you say to a teacher who's like, I can't do that. I can't focus on bending rules to help this kid because I'm going to lose control of my class. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple months, maybe even a couple years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Right. That is a great, <laughs> that is definitely a great question. And what it makes me think about is this idea of classroom management, right? So in our teacher education programs, we often talk about how important classroom management is and ensuring that you have your policy, and you have these rules. But to be honest, you cannot, it's hard to teach classroom management. And even as, at 22 years of teaching, it's hard to teach that. The best teacher is getting in front of the kids, figuring that 
piece out and and building your experiences from one year to the next. So what I would say to teachers that are rigid and have a hard time, and this is what I tell my students um, about classroom management as well, is first of all, you really got to deep within yourself, right? Like you just got to know because I can tell you what my classroom management technique was and what my style was, but it is probably not going to work for you because you're not me. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in because I strongly have feelings for that. And I guess it comes down to social media and teaching on Twitter sharing and seeing activities and going to conferences. And a lot of times you're right. It comes down to who you are. How do you present yourself to the students in the classroom? And it's hard to mimic that or change who you are. And so some activities work with that teacher because that's who they are. And some activities work with this teacher and that's who they are. It's like we have to all find our place in these activities or in these lessons to go, okay, we focused on bringing learning out of students. How can I do that? And I think you're making a great point, but saying, hey, we got two pronged approach here. It's about us helping these kids and also about the strategies to make that happen. And there's a couple of things that popped into my mind as well. And it really comes down to, I think, having you used the word norms earlier, Sean, and I think co-developing this with students and building that culture, I think, goes a long way as well. This is something that, again, I never knew how to do. And like you had said, it's hard to sort of teach pre-service teachers what that looks like and sounds like, but you know it once it happens, right? Like once you've got there and it's like, if students believe that you truly care about them and that you want the best for them and having norms such as, Hey, listen, we always respect this, the speaker. It's not, Hey, don't, it's not about respect the teacher. It's about you respect the speaker in the class. You respect everyone in this classroom. And it's like, as that happens, and of course, some students are going to have bad days and maybe slip up here or there and those types of things. But I think it makes, if the rules aren't so cut and dry right from the start and it's more about the big idea like if it's more about usually rules are put in place so that a certain thing happens right like so but if we focus on the bigger idea then it gives you a little bit more leeway i feel so that you can be a little more responsive depending on who you're working with the day they're having or whatever it might be it just sort of gives you a little bit of that freedom And it doesn't have to be the same for everyone, right? Like that equity equal or equitable is like a very different sort of way to look or fair. People who say like fair, I need to be fair to everyone. Well, what's fair? I always think about that. It's like, well, is it fair that some students got breakfast today and other students didn't? That doesn't seem fair to me either. So we have to look at things differently for different students. So I know for me, I've got so many more ideas I want to ask you, but John and I are really, really bad at sticking to our timelines to try to ensure that we don't keep our guests too long. So what I think we might do for now, and then I'm hoping maybe you'll spend some time with us at our upcoming virtual summit and maybe get you back on for another episode after that as well. I'm wondering if folks are driving into work or maybe they're driving home or they're working out as they're listening to this episode. We've talked about a lot of big ideas here today. I'm wondering if there was one big idea or a big takeaway that you were hoping people get from this conversation here today, what would that be for the Math Moment Maker community? Awesome. So 
takeaway for me would be that if we are not taking the time or we as math teachers don't take the time to connect the content that we love so much to the learners or the group of students that we have in front of us, then we're missing the opportunity for them to love the content that you love. Awesome. That's a great takeaway. And I think that sums up so many things, the ideas that we chatted about here, making sure that we connect the content to the learner. And we talked about some ways that we could do that. Tashana, thanks so much for joining us here on Making Math Moments at Matter podcast. Like Kyle said, we're going to reach out to you with some details. We'd really love to have you back in the 2022 virtual summit. So we'll make sure we get you some of those details. And like he said, we'll hopefully come back on and chat with us some more. Awesome. Would love to. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, friends, we will have all links and details in the show notes. If someone wants to reach out to you, though, just for those who are listening and don't make it to the show notes page, where could they find more of your work and reach out to you? Yeah, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at T House, and that's H O W S E. Actually, let me redo that. It's T D as in Denise House. So T D House, H O W S E underscore math. Ooh, love it. Fantastic. We will include that in the show notes as well as some links to some resources and wonderful things that folks can do some learning with, my friend. And for those Academy members who are listening, the replay of Tashana's session is in the Academy. So make sure you go check it out if you haven't had a chance to yet. We definitely learned a ton and I hope everyone has learned a ton here with us today. So thanks for spending some time with us in the Math Moment Maker community. And we We'll see you soon. Okay, Tashana? All right. See ya. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye. Well, Math Moment Makers, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. I'm telling you, I don't know if you could tell near the end, I was about to keep going and just continue digging in the rabbit hole, but we knew, you know what, the time was right. We needed to wrap things up there, but I am super excited to bring Tashana back for this year's virtual summit coming up in November, 2022. And John, like you said, on the intro to this conversation, lots of new learning here, deepening my understanding and just sort of thinking about things a little bit differently. I don't know about you friends at home, but what are you going to do in order to reflect on your learning here today to ensure that it doesn't wash away like footprints in the sand? Are you going to write a note? Are you going to write a social tweet? Are you going to chat about it in the teacher lounge tomorrow? Do something so that this learning sticks with you and you can start implementing these moves in your classroom. Yeah. And another great way to hold yourself accountable is to share it with some folks. And we got some opportunities for you to share or some places you can share or get some feedback from. You can always tag us at Make Math Moments on social media, Instagram or Twitter, or jump on over to our Facebook group, Math Momakers K-12. We've got that community in there. Questions are getting asked. People are helping each other out on lots of different topics. If you had a question from this episode, hey, toss it in there and the community is going to come to your rescue. All right, my friends, if you have not hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you do so on whatever platform you're listening to or watching. Remember, 
over on YouTube, you can hit that subscribe button and that notification bell because not only do we post video versions of the podcast, but every week we have a short video with really kind of like a pro tip, right? Uh, about planning your lesson, uh, about maybe trying a new protocol or structure, like how to run math talks effectively or how to run a problem-based math lesson. Head over to youtube.com forward slash make math moments and hit that subscribe button. Show notes and links to resources and complete transcripts from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 183. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 183. Well, my math moment maker friends, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. Hey. And I five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.